committed 20 to 30 minutes every weekday to read the scriptures, to journey through the entire Bible. And we have successfully now journeyed through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 King, and now we are in 1 Chronicles. And and so um, and we're in First Chronicles chapter nine. Uh, we've gone through the genealogies, and now we're beginning to transition now into the next portion of this text. And so that's what we want to engage in today in our time that's been afforded to us. And so, uh, if you can, we're going to pray into three things. We're praying into three questions, and the three questions that we're praying into is God: What are you revealing concerning yourself? That's the first question. The second question that we're asking is, God, what are you revealing concerning people? And the third question that we're going to ask is, God, what are you revealing concerning me? What are you revealing concerning me? And that's what we're going to pray into. That's what we're uh, prayerfully considering as we open our hearts to what the Lord has for us today. And so we're going to read. That's our priority. And then we'll spend a few minutes in reflection. Father, I ask, Lord, that you would engage with us today. Lord, engage with us in your word, Lord, as we uh, engage in your word. Lord, speak to us, Lord, as we seek to hear from you. Lord, as we read your word, let us not simply uh, understand the words that are in it, but, Father, Lord, that we would hear your voice through it. So speak to us today, Lord. Uh, Encourage us, build us, correct us, guide us. Lead us, exhort us, for we desire that from you, and we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go. First Chronicles chapter 9, and it says this, verse 1, So all Israel was recorded by genealogies, and indeed they were inscribed in the book of the kings of Israel. But Judah was carried away captive to Babylon because of their unfaithfulness. And the first inhabitants who dwelt in their possessions, in their cities, were Israelites, priests, Levites, and the Nethanim. Now in Jerusalem, the children of Judah dwelt. And some of the children of Benjamin, the children of Ephraim and Manasseh, Uthai, the son of Amihud, the son of Omri, the son of Imri, the son of Bani, of the descendants of Perez, the son of Judah. And of the Shalonites, Asiah, the, the firstborn of his sons, the son of the sons of Zerah, Jewel, and their brethren, 690, of the sons of Benjamin, Salu, the son of Meshulam, the son of Hodavia, the son of Hesunua, Ebnia, the son of Jeroam, Ella, the son of Uzi, the son of Mikri, Meshulam, the son of Naphtia, the son of Reuel, the son of Ebnijah, and their brethren according to their generations, 956. All these men were the heads of a father's house in their father's houses. Of the priests, Jediah, Jehoriab, Jachin, Azariah, the son of Hilkiah, the son of Meshulam, the son of Zadok, the son of Merim, the son of Ahitub, the officer over the house of God, Adiah, the son of Joram, the son of Pasher, the son of Melchijah, the son of Mahasai, the son of Adiel, the son of Jezerah, the son of Meshulam, the son of Meshulamith, the son of Immer, and their brethren, heads of their father's houses, 1,760. They were very able men for the work of the service of the house of God. Of the Levites, Shemaiah, the son of Hashub, the son of Azrakim, the son of Hashabiah, the son of Merari, Bakbar, Haresh, Galal, and Methaniah, the son of Micah, the son of Zikri, the son of Asaph, Obadiah, of Shemaiah, the son of Galal, the son of Jeduthun, and Berechiah, the son of Asa, the son of Elkanah, who lived in the villages of the Netophathites. And the gatekeepers were Shalom, Akub, Talmon, Ahiman, and their brethren. Shalom was the chief. Until then, they had been gatekeepers in the camps of the children of Levi at the king's gate on the east. 
Shalom, the son of Kor, the son of Abiasaph, the son of Korah, and their brethren from his father's house, the Korites, were in charge of the work of the service, gatekeepers of the tabernacle. Their fathers had been gatekeepers of the entrance to the camp of the Lord. And Phineas, the son of Eleazar, had been the officer over time, over them in time past. The Lord was with him. Zechariah, the son of Mashulamiah, was the keeper of the Lord in the tabernacle of meeting. All those chosen as gatekeepers were 212. They were recorded by their genealogy in their villages. David and Samuel, the seer, had appointed them to their trusted office. So they and their children were in charge to keep the gates of the house of the Lord, the house of the tabernacle, and by assignment. The gatekeepers were assigned to the four directions, the east, west, north, and south, and their brethren in their villages had to come with them from time to time for seven days. For in this trusted office were four chief gatekeepers. They were Levites, and they had charge over the chambers of the treasuries of the house of the Lord, and they lodged all around the house of God because they had the responsibility. They were in charge of the opening. They were in charge of opening it every morning. Now, some of them were in charge of the serving vessels, for they brought them in and took them out by count. Some of them were appointed over the furnishings and over the implements of the sanctuary and over the fine flour and the wine and the oil and the incense and the spices. And some of the sons of the priests made the ointments, made ointment of the spices. Betithiah of the Levites, the firstborn of Shalom, the Korite, had a trusted office over the things that were baked in the pans. And some of their children of the sons of the Kohathites were in charge of preparing the showbread for every Sabbath. These are the singers, heads of the father's house of the Levites, who lodged in the chambers and were free from their duties, for they employed in that work day and night. These heads of the father's houses of the Levites were heads throughout their generations. They dwelt at Jerusalem. Jael, the father of Gibeon, whose wife's name was Maka, dwelt in Gibeon. His firstborn son was Abdon, then Zer, Kish, Baal, Ner, Nadab, Gedor, Ahio, Zechariah, and Mikloth. And Mikloth begot Shemaim. They also dwelt alongside the relatives in Jerusalem with their brethren. Ner begot Kish. Kish begot Saul. Saul begot Jonathan, Melchishua, Abinadab, and Eshbaal. The son of Jonathan was Merbaal, and Merbaal begot Micah. These, the sons of Micah were Pithon, Melech, Terai, Ahaz, and Ahaz begot Jerah, Jerah begot Elameth, Asmaveth, and Zimri, and Zimri begot Moza, Moza begot Benaiah, Raphiah his son, Elisa his son, and Azel his son. And Azel had six sons whose names were these, Azakem, Bekaru, Ishmael, Shariah, Obadiah, Hanan. These were the sons of Azel. Now the Philistines fought against Israel. And the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Galboa. And the Philistines followed hard after Saul and his sons. And the Philistines killed Jonathan, Abinadab, and Melchishua, Saul's sons. The battle became fierce against Saul. The archers hit him, and he was wounded by the archers. Then Saul said, to his armor bearer, draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised men come and abuse me. But his armor bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. Therefore, Saul took a sword and fell on it. And when the armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his sword and died. So Saul and his three sons died, and all his house died together. And when Israel, sorry, and when all the men of Israel who in the valley saw that they had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead. They forsook their cities and fled. Then the Philistines came and dwelt in them. Hmm. So it happened the next day when the Philistines came to strip the slain that they found Saul and his sons fallen on Mount Gilboa and they stripped him and took his head and his armor and sent word throughout the land of the Philistines to proclaim the news of the temple of their idols and among the people. And they put his armor in the temple of their gods. 
and fastened his head on the temple of Dagon. And when all Jabesh Gilead heard all that the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons, and they brought them to Jabesh and buried their bones under a tamarisk tree at Jabesh and fasted seven days. So Saul died for his unfaithfulness, which he had committed against the Lord, because he did not keep the word of the Lord, and also because he consulted a medium for guidance. But he did not inquire of the Lord. Therefore, he killed him and turned the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. So much there. Then all Israel came together to David at Hebron, saying, Indeed, we are your bone and your flesh. Also in time past, even when Saul was king, you were the one who led Israel out and brought them in. And the Lord your God said to you, You shall shepherd my people Israel and be ruler over my people. Therefore, all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron. And David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord. And they anointed David king over Israel, according to the word of the Lord by Samuel. And David and all of Israel went to Jerusalem, which is in Jebus, where the Jebusites were, the inhabitants of the land. Hmm. But the inhabitants of Jebus said to David, you shall not come in here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion. That is the city of David. Now, David said, whoever attacks the Jebusites first shall be chief and captain. And Joab, the son of Zeruiah, came, went up first and became chief. Then David dwelt in the stronghold. Therefore, they called it the city of David. For he built the city around it from Milo to the surrounding area. Joab repaired the rest of the city. So David went on and became great. And the Lord of hosts was with him. Now these were the heads of mighty men whom David had, who strengthened themselves with him in his kingdom, with all Israel to make him king, according to the word of the Lord concerning Israel. And this is the number of the mighty men David had. Jeshabim, the son of the Hakamanite, chief of the captains, he had lifted up his spear against 300 and killed by him at one time. After him was Eliezer, the son of Dodo, the Ahohite. The, the Hohite, who was one of the three mighty men. He was with David at Pastamim. Now, there the Philistines were gathered for battle, and there was a piece of ground full of barley, and the people fled from the Philistines, but they stationed themselves in the middle of the field, defended it, and killed the Philistines. So the Lord brought about a great victory. Now three of the thirty chief men went down to the rock to David, into the cave at Adullam. And the army of the Philistines encamped in the valley of Rephaim. And David was there, sorry, and David was then in the stronghold. And the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. And David said with longing, Oh, that someone would give me a drink of water from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. So the three broke through the camp of the Philistines, drew water from the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, David would not drink it but poured it out to the Lord. And he said, Far be it from me, O my Lord, that I should drink this. Shall I drink the blood of these men who have put their lives in jeopardy? For at the risk of their lives they brought it. Therefore he would not drink it. These things were done by the three mighty men, Abishai, the brother of Joab, the chief among three. He had lifted up his spear against 300 men, killed them, and won a name among these three. Of, of the three, he was more honored than the other two men. Therefore, he became their captain. However, he did not attain to the first three. Hmm. Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man from Kebzeel, who had done many deeds. He had, kill, he had killed two lion-like heroes of Moab. He also had gone down and killed a lion in the midst of a pit on a snowy day. And he killed an Egyptian, a man of great height, five cubits tall. In the Egyptian's hand, there was a spear like a weaver's beam, and he went down to him with a staff, wrested the spear out of the Egyptian's hand, and killed him with his own spear. These things Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, Jehoiada did, and won a name among three mighty men. Indeed, 
he was more honored than the 30. But he did not attain to the first three, and David appointed him over his guard. Also, the mighty warriors of Asael, the brother of Joab, Elhanan, the son of Dodo of Bethlehem, Shamoth, the Herorite, Heles, the Pelonite, Ira, the son of Ikesh, the Tekoite, Ebiezer, the Anathite, Sebekai, the Hushathite, Eli, the Oathite, the outside Auhite, Marare, Maharai, the Netophathite, Heled, the son of Bena, the Netophathite, Atai, the son of Ribia, Rishai the of Gibeah, of the sons of Benjamin, Benaiah, the Parathonite, Hariah, the brooks of of the brooks of Gosh, Abiel, the Arbathite, Asmaveth, the Bahuramite, Elhuabah, the, the Shalbanite, the sons of Hashem, the Gizanite, Jonathan, the son of Hageth, the Hararite, Ahiam, the son of Sakar, the Hararite, Eliphal, the son of Ur, Hefer, the, Merik- the Mekurathite, Ahijah, the Pelonite, Hezro, the Carmelite, Narai, the son of Esbai, Joel, the brother of Nathan, Mibar, the son of Hagri, Zelek, the Ammonite, Naharai, the Barathite, the armor bearer of Joab, the son of Zeruiah, Ira, the Ithrite, Gerub, the Ithrite, Uriah, the Hittite, Zabab, Zabad, the son of Ahalia, sorry, Alai, Adina, the son of Sheza, the Reubenite, a chief of the Reubenites, and thirty with him, Hanan, the son of Makkah, Josephat, the, the Mithnite, Uziah, the Ashtarathite, Shammah, and Jalel, the sons of Hotham, the Ararite, Shadael, the son of Shimri, and Joah, his brother, the Tizite, Eliel, the, Mahath- the, the Mahavite, <laughs> Jeribai, and Jashavai, Jashavia, sorry, Jashavia, the son of Elnaam, Ithma, the Moabite, Eliel, Obed, and Jehaziel, the Mezobite. We're going to stop right there. <laughs> um, for those of you who are here, you, you know what we've been journeying through, and you know the misery <laughs> that we've gone through in the last uh, couple days in reading this, um, simply because th- there are a lot of names here that are unfamiliar, that in the English language are a- it's really difficult to read. I just want to throw that out there. And if you're looking for a biblical name for your child, listen, man, just just go to just go to Chronicles, okay? There's, there's plenty of names in there, all right? If you want to take any of those names, take them. <laughs> They're yours, all right? Uh, the scriptures are replete with difficult, unique names to pronounce. So if you're looking for a unique name that's difficult to pronounce for your child, just just go to just go to First Chronicles, okay? It's all it's all there for you, all right? Um, for those of you who may, you know, they have, you know, an attention deficit in some form or another, I feel like a lot of us just have attention deficits. This, this particular portion of scripture is hard to read. Um, and, and the reason why it's difficult to read is because we're just reading a bunch of names, you know, and names that are hard to pronounce. And because we don't know these people and we don't know their history and we don't know anything about them. It's, it's just difficult. You kind of just read like... Elkanah, Jesai, Azariel, Jozer, Jeshobum, Jeshobium. See, I'm having, I'm still having a hard time reading these things, and, and so it's it's hard, it's difficult, right? It's difficult to read through it because it's just a bunch of names. But is it? But is it? <laughs> Benaniah is a good name. I like it. Take it. It's yours. Benaniah is yours. You can have it. We see all these names and we're going, oh gosh, another set of names, another set of names, another set of names. And as I read it, as much as I am annoyed, 
I'm going to be honest with you. I'm annoyed by reading all these names. Okay. I love the word of God, but man, this is just, God, can we get to the point? As a matter of fact, we have a tendency even to read in these particular portions of scripture to say, God, can we just get to the point here? Can we get to the important stuff? Isn't that interesting? Like we were just praying before we even started our reading. Say, Lord, speak to us. Right? Speak to us, Lord. Show us your heart. Reveal to us your character. Right? What are you revealing to us concerning you? What are you revealing to us concerning people? What are you revealing to us concerning us and ourselves? And I find even in that moment of being annoyed, the Lord is answering all three questions. The first thing that I see from this is when it says, Lord, what are you revealing? When I ask the Lord, Lord, what are you revealing concerning yourself? What this reveals is that everyone is important. Like we have a tendency to overlook this, which reveals the second thing is that people are important to God. Every individual is important. And every person in this story, even though we don't know every element of this story, we don't know their history. We don't know a lot about them. And yet it, they were important enough to God. Their very existence, even in the bloodline was important to God. That God said, put their name down in this book because they played a part in my story. They played a part in my justice. It speaks to the reality that many of us, even though we don't know the stories of people all around us, but that we would have a tendency to overlook the people who seem storyless. We don't know their stories. Have you ever thought about this? I live in a big city. Have you ever thought for a moment as you're walking through the city, like this, the stories of all the people who are there? Like you see people, you may think they're unimportant, uninteresting. Maybe you have a tendency to just kind of overlook it and say, you know what, we're just all just doing our thing, living our own realities, just trying to make it in this world. And yet, have you ever thought for a moment that all their stories somehow contribute to the greater story and the bigger story? Have you ever thought that maybe those people that we tend to have a tendency to overlook have incredible stories? Yeah. This speaks into my heart as well of my tendency to just overlook the people that I do not know. This is what the Lord is dealing with me even in this moment as I read this text. Yeah, we can, we can sit there and go, okay, let's study about Josephab. Let's go find out more about Josephab. You may not find anything else about Josephab anywhere in the historical text. His name may pop up somewhere else in the scripture. And yet it was important to put his name here because his life matters. His existence matters. His story matters. Even if we don't know all of it, God knows it. And God felt it critically important to place his name there because he plays a part. His very existence plays a part in the story of God. So who are we to be the respecters of persons? We have a tendency to be impressed by the people who have the big names, the big followers, the big stories. Yeah, we, we all know David. We all know Saul. We know those stories, man, because those are, those are the heroes. Those are the celebrities. Those are the celebrities in the Bible. And it speaks into our tendency as a people to get overly consumed by celebrity culture. Like we, we, we can be so fixated, not on the anointing that's on the person, but on the name that that person has amassed. We're so about the brand that we miss out on the brand. We're so about, we're so about, you know, how many followers does this person have? You know, how, um, we're so about, you know, how big is their ministry and how big is the, their church? We're so about, I've seen some of the greatest preaching from some of the people we would have never heard before. Some of the greatest pastors are the ones we will never, ever, ever know. And yet, their impact, 
their lives play an incredible impact. I came to tell somebody who may seem nameless that the little that you do matters so much to God. Your life matters. Your work matters. Can I tell you right now, some of the greatest pastors ever in history have never stepped on pulpits. Some of the greatest pastors and ministers and caretakers of the flock have never held seminary degrees. Some of the greatest pastors and ministers have never been educated, have never received any kind of formal education in theology. Some of the greatest pastors have congregations of three and four, of two and of one. Some of the greatest pastors are the ones who their congregation is simply their home. Some of the greatest ministers of the gospel are the ones who the only people they will ever pastor are the kids that they're raising up. And yet, even though no one knows your name, God knows your name. He says, I've called you by my name. And he knows every one of us. And our work is equally important. There's a person right now who's saying, I don't feel successful. I don't feel like I've made it. My, I don't even know if my work matters, if the thing I do matters. God knows your name. Your life matters. Your story matters. Your work matters. You today in the little that you do, you might not have a big platform. You might not have hundreds of thousands of followers on TikTok. You might not have hundreds and thousands of followers on IG. You, your name might not be in history books. You might not be the next Billy Graham or the next Martin Luther King or whatever it is. But the little that you do, that you think that you do, reverberates throughout all of humanity and all of history. It's a ripple effect. And there's somebody's life that you can change today. And there are people's lives that you have changed. You don't realize that the little that you've done changed an entire ancestry, changed an entire bloodline, changed an entire people. It could change an entire nation. And you may have just done it at a bakery. You may be doing it working at a convenience store. You may be doing it as a stay-at-home mother or a stay-at-home father. You may be doing it simply as a hospice nurse. You may be doing it in, in the things that no one pays any attention to. And yet the little that the world thinks you do means everything to God. All of it is ministry. I will never know Abna's life in verse 20. I'll never know. Ab I'll never know what was going on in his life. I'll never know his story. And yet he probably went through a lot of things, dealt with a lot of stuff, dealt with things in his marriage and, and family, had a lot of tensions, had a lot of things in God, did a lot through him. And there were so many things that he learned even through his relationship with God. And there's so much that I don't know about him. Don't know about his life and the role that he plays in the story of God. And yet all I need to know that it was enough. It was important enough for God to put his name in this book. And every one of us has our names written in the story of God. He knows each and every one of us by name. So here's the word of conviction. Who are we then? 
who ignore the least of these. Isn't it interesting how we have this tendency to, to, to be so impressed with, with, with the people who we see success from. And yeah, they have amazing stories. But man, some of the most amazing stories I've, I've ever heard in my life, some of the most fantastical stories I've ever heard, were the stories of the homeless people that I used to feed every weekend. I would sit down and we'd have conversations and they would share stories. And I would say, wow. They would send me links to websites of things that they had accomplished in their lives. I would see their names and articles, people who were, who had fame and success. I met guys who graduated from Harvard who were published and yet now they're living under a bridge. And you would look at them and everybody looks by and looks past them. And yet I speak to some of these guys and I realize, oh my goodness, this guy is brilliant. He's accomplished more than most people have ever accomplished in their lives. <laughs> and we can, we can talk all day about the, how he got to where he got to and, and maybe mental illness played a role and maybe he made some bad decisions along the way. But man, he's got a story. I've met fashion models who you would look at them on the, you know, fashion models who, who modeled for big fashion houses and, and clothing lines and brands. They've got photos and magazines that you would have looked at, but you could have never known who they were because now here they are at the side of the road, dirty, hairy, ignored and left aside. I had a guy that I met um, maybe like five years, no? No, maybe more now. I met and uh, he had this huge beard okay he was just and and it wasn't until I spoke to him like he had this massive beard he was you know dingy tall dude real tall guy kind of dingy and you know he had this big trash bag on his back and he was walking down the street and we were just doing a feeding and we were doing a homeless feeding and so um you know i gave him some food and then said how are you because it's not just you know i, I find it funny how even some of our outreaches we don't really see the beauty in the person we just want to simply help somebody because we have this like savior mentality as if we can save people when when we can get more saving in the giving then they they're more of a blessing to us than we can ever be uh to them and so here I am, every time we went out to feed, we would always want to sit down and talk to them and get to know them and to love them. And uh, this one guy, I handed off, and I remember, I remember this vividly. He started speaking and I went, you're, you're a young guy. He looked at first, like he, he looked like he was 50, 60 years old. He just, you know, and he starts speaking. I'm like, how old are you, bro? And he's like, oh, I'm 23. I'm like, you're 23 years old. Yeah. Fashion model. So well, how'd you get here? And his story was, is that he was a struggling model. He was on the cover of magazines. He's he'd seen some success in it, but he was still a struggling model. And he uh he apparently because he was struggling had you know stolen some food from whole foods because he has to you know he's he has to eat really good foods and he's really healthy dude he was like a health freak and um and so he he got caught uh stealing food at uh at whole foods as a struggling uh model and the consequence of that was is that he'd gotten arrested got a record his parents weren't putting up with that, and so they kicked him out. He had nowhere to go. And so now he's a struggling model. He's got a record, and it was just difficult for him to get a job, and so it just kind of just went downhill for him. It spiraled down. 
And as a result of that, he found himself in the predicament that he was in. And so he starts showing me all the, you know, the images and the pictures of all his successes and all. And I was like, man, this guy has seen incredible success. Like he, this guy, this guy has seen glimpses of success. And yet, because, you know, he just got caught in some things and made some bad decisions, he finds himself in this place. This man is brilliant, gifted. He's got a story. And he's been a blessing in so many ways. And yet, here we are. We find ourselves in this place. Long story short, we were able to help him, got some things together got back and believe now he started a, a health food business and a company and everything else. All this is to say is these people have stories. We all have stories and our stories matter. Each and every story matters. You matter. And if you matter, everyone matters. And if, and if everyone matters, what would happen if we saw everyone the way God sees us? Like what would happen if we saw everyone in the way that God sees me? Like what would happen if we would see the least of these the way God sees us? What would happen if we would see our fellow struggling brother and sister on the side of the road in the way that God sees us? What would happen if we would see those who are migrants and those who are less enfranchised, those who haven't been given a fair shake in life, those who've, who've run into some things and those who've encountered some challenges and some difficulties, those who've been through some stuff, those who may have made some bad decisions as if we didn't make bad decisions, those who may have got caught in some stuff as if we shouldn't have got caught in some stuff. Well, what would happen if we would, if we would treat the least of these in the way that God sees us? What would happen? Oh, how that would change how we would treat people. Sorry, but this is what the this is what the Lord is working in me as I read this. As I'm reading this text, and I'm reading all these names. And I'm realizing, you know, as much as I'm annoyed by the names that are in the text, I find the blessing of knowing that even these people matter. And if these people matter, I matter. And if I matter, everyone matters. The guy walking down the street, the person on the side of the road. Every child matters. Whether they speak English or not, they matter. Their life matters. Whether or not they're mentally disabled or physically disabled, they matter. your life matters. And I think for many of us, we are so bogged down and so consumed by this image of success. We want to be successful. We want to win. We want to have a big position, big title, big platform. We want people to know us. We want to, we want to get, we want to be in the history books. We want to live in the big house and that we want to, we want to just be known and, and to be seen as successful people. There's this, 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 this new ideology, this new way of thinking that we're nothing unless we succeed. And there are many of us right now who are at a certain stage in our life where we look and we say, Man, I'm not winning like those who I grew up with are winning. There's some people right now who you're looking at people on Facebook or, or you know, because Facebook is the place you go to to see all the people we went to school with, right? You can just filter in all the people you graduated with. And then you look and you start comparing yourself to them. And you're like, man, I didn't win the way they won. I, I didn't get what they got. I didn't, I didn't. And so we have this, this, this thing that creeps up in our mind that we are defined by the things we've accomplished. 
We're defined by how well we're known. We have a new thing now that our identity and our worth is based on how many likes we get on IG or, or how many likes we get on social media, how many views we get on TikTok. So we start comparing ourselves. What does that person have that I do not have? Why is this person known and I'm not known? What if we just stop caring about all of that? What if we just start living, knowing that we've been fully affirmed by God, that God loves us, that God cares about us, that the most important person in, person in the world says that we matter to him. Each and every one of us individually matter to him. And so now if I live, I live out of the affirmation and acceptance of God, knowing that I've been fully affirmed by God. Now, I don't care how many views I get on on social media. I'm not consumed by how many likes I have. I'm not consumed by if I'm known or if I get the promotion or if I'm at the top of a company or if my company is, is the most successful company in the world. I'm not consumed by that. Who cares if I'm in my mid-40s and I haven't acquired and succeeded in all the things that, that I've seen people have succeeded in their late 20s? Who cares? My story matters. My life matters. Your life matters. You were blooming from way before. Blooming is not based on how, how, how well known you are. You are blooming because God already put his name on you. He shined his light upon you. I have to say that to some people who are profoundly discouraged. Can I just speak into that real quick? There are some folks here who are profoundly discouraged about the stage of life that they're in. I should have had this many kids. I should have had this much money. I should have been at this stage. I should have gotten the degree at this point. I should have won in this. I should have made it to this point in my career. I should, by this time, I would have had my practice. By this time, I would have been at this stage in my life. At this time, I would have been a manager. By this time, I should have done this. By this time, I should have done that. And so we're sitting around just depressed about things we haven't accomplished, not realizing that where you are right now is where God wants you to be. And he loves you right where you are. And whatever you've done, they've produced eternal results. Your life matters. Your existence matters. Your name matters. That's it. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. No, everything else is just something on top. <laughs> um, I think that people often, I'm a little bit confused as well about the things that I see that have transpired in the last few months in my life. Um, I get questions all the time from, you know, ministries and speakers and influencers. And they'll hit me up and say, yo, what's your strategy? Explain to me your strategy. Like, bro, you're almost at 500,000 followers on TikTok and you're, you just started your IG and you have all these followers and, and wow, man, like, I know you must feel like this is crazy how all this is happening. And to be quite honest with you, I don't care. You know, I realized that last week. I actually just, I don't care. <laughs> and, and maybe that's a, maybe that's a, uh, a weird position to take. And maybe that's a, some would say that I'm not stewarding my platform well. And, you know, I'm not. But to be honest with you, if I lost all my followers today and I lost all my platforms today, Nothing in my life would change. I would just kind of just keep doing what I'm doing. He said, tell us your strategy. Like, what are you doing? I'm like, y'all, I didn't do anything. I just got on and started sharing a message. What about your creativity? Well, what about your, your, your aesthetic expression? I'm like, I'm just expressing 
creatively out of the love and affirmation and acceptance of God. So half the stuff I do, almost everything I do, isn't very strategic. I need people to help me put strategy to this now. But I haven't been strategic at all. I'm legit just loving God and loving people and loving Jesus. Like, that's where I'm at. And and so there are days where, I, you know what? It doesn't matter. Lord, I just want to be with you. And I want your people to know you and encounter you and love you. That's all I care about. So I'm going to reach people as much as I can. I'm going to get to as many people as I can. If if all this is gone, guess what? I'm just going to go back and I'm going to find another way to just reach people. And and if it's only 10 of them, then great. If it's only, if it's 100 of them, then great. If it's 100,000 of them, wow, that's amazing. If it's, a, I had to, and I'm telling you this, fam, because about three weeks ago, not three weeks, three months ago, I said three weeks, but three months ago, I had a week of, I don't want to call it panic, but of dire concern. Because it just hit me out of nowhere. Oh my goodness. I think yeah, about three months ago, I may have been around like 300,000 followers or something like that. And I was like, hold on a second. That's a, that's a whole lot of people. And I was like, wait, it's like it hit me in that moment. Up to that point, I just didn't even pay attention to it. I didn't care. And then it hit me, and then I felt this pressure. Like, oh my goodness, these people trust me. These people, these people trust me. Like, these people trust what I have to say. I can't get this wrong. I feel pressure. Oh my goodness. What if, oh my gosh. And so I, I just, all the fear started to take in and creep in because I'm not, I hate platforms. I hate people knowing me. I hate all that stuff. Um, my wife will tell you I'm a hardcore introvert. I don't even like leaving. I, like I'm, I, I live in a hole. Look at this. It's black. It's dark. Look at the back. Look at the background, guys. It's black. It's dark. It's just, I, I can be here all day. Never talk to anyone. I love living in my little hole. That's what I do. Okay. I got, I got no life, y'all. <laughs> I got no life. I love living in this hole. And all of a sudden, there's 300,000 people messaging me, asking me for prayer, connecting with me, trusting in what I have to share and what I have to say. And, and I'm going, oh, goodness. And all of a sudden, this pressure began to creep on me and this weight. And then I, I was like, God, what do I do with this? I don't want it. God, you could have it. I started feeling all this pressure. And all of a sudden, God was like, when you got it, you got it in my freedom. So rest in me. You didn't do any of this. This wasn't strategy. This wasn't. This was my spirit breathing through what you committed to do simply and you just wanting to be with me and to dwell with me. This is a big accident. That was divinely ordained by God. So guess what I do from here on out? I just dwell with him. I'm no celebrity and I don't care to be. You may not be known by anyone. What's the difference between Isaac Frere who has a few hundred thousand followers on his social media platforms and Doris who may not have anywhere near the same amount of followers. What's the difference between us to God? Nothing. You're not worth more or less than me. You are not more or less valuable than me. You don't matter more or less than I do. We all matter to God. And as I close, I just want to encourage you all. Just rest in that. Don't chase the bad. Don't chase the identity. Don't chase, None of that will make you of worth. Maybe for the respecters of persons, but not to God. 
not to God. That's why I love him so much. I don't need to win. I don't need to succeed. I don't need to press. I don't need to do any of that. I don't need to, I don't need to do none of that. <laughs> because I'm a son of the living God. And we are all sons and daughters of God. I'll say one thing just to draw your attention to it. But I want you to notice that as he's sharing the lineage, notice that he shares a lineage and then he connects it to the players in the story. Because it wasn't just about David. It was about the people around David. It wasn't just about Saul. It was about the people around Saul. It wasn't just about. And so if you notice, everybody's part in the story matters. You matter. Father, I thank you for encouraging us today, Lord, in your word. Lord, even as we're reading it, it's easy to be annoyed reading all these names that we can't even pronounce. All these names that I know as I was reading them, I know I was butchering them. I know that. I am no expert in the reading of Hebrew names and Canaanite names and Ugaritic names. I I I can't I'm I'm not good at that. And so I know I probably pronounce half these names wrong. I don't know these people. I don't know I don't know half of them. And yet Lord you know each and every one of them and you felt it was important for me to read them and to butcher them. To butcher those names. You felt it was important because you reminded me today as you're reminding all of us today that each and every person in this story mattered and each and every one of us today matter. So Father, I pray, Lord, that you would give us confidence to know that we are heirs of the inheritance, that we've been adopted, that your spirit has testified to our spirit that, that we, are, we are children of the creator, the living God, to remember that we don't have to win anything, titles, accolades, but Lord, that we have already won simply by being in you. You are our rest. You are our Sabbath. You are our peace. You are our shalom. You are our father. You are our purpose. So bless us today as we leave this time together, Lord. Let's leave with confidence. Let's leave with confidence in who we are in you and not what we perform. Thank you for reminding us today that each and every one of us matters. And we say that in Jesus' name. Amen.